0: the power of their data Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents
1: This Week in Rays Baseball.
2: Drilled the center field and deep. Back out of the seat, to the track, to the wall, it's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center, and he gives the Rays a 6-4 to lead here in
1: the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week. Take a look around Major League Baseball and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game.
2: The
3: 2-2
4: now. Check swing on the slider, Frank three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's
1: your host, Neil
3: Solons. Good morning, welcome to our show. Today on our program, you'll hear from Logan Morrison on Facing His Original Club. We'll chat with Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun, plus Dave and Andy will stop on by. We'll visit with Montgomery manager Brady Williams, minor leaguer Patrick Leonard, plus much more. We continue on This Week in Race Baseball. Our feature guest this week is one Logan Morrison. Lomo, this week you faced your original team, and you haven't played with the Marlins for four years now, but does it mean anything at this point to you? Is it of significance when you see that club again?
5: Definitely. I mean, I, I, uh, came up with them, um, you know, indebted to everyone that I worked with in the minor leagues and really appreciate everything they did for me. Made me a, not only a great baseball player, um, well, good enough to get to the big leagues, but a great human being. Um, you know, a lot of lessons you learn on the field, help you off the field. So, um, You know, they always impressed upon me not only to be a good baseball player, but to be a good human. Who are you still close to in that organization, and who are you happy to see this week? Uh, Well, Perry Hill, Bone, the first base coach. Uh, You got, you know, Christian Yelich, Giancarlo, Stanton, um, JT Real Muto. Um, I'm sure I'm leaving out guys. Uh, Tom Kohler. You know a lot of the staff that I had in the minor leagues has changed over but um you know there are other places and and the big leagues are throughout the minor leagues now but um definitely appreciate everything they did for me so. with your family here I think a
3: lot with the Rays I think a lot of people talk about the influence you have in the clubhouse in a positive way who was influential for you in your big league career there with the
5: Marlins that helped kind of mold you a bit sure uh you know, other than, like, the, the coaches and, and the, the staff it would be, um, you know, Dan Ugla, um, uh, uh, Cody Ross, um, Ricky Nolasco, um, Josh Johnson, um, those, those guys that were established when I got up, um, you know, kind of just they went about it the right way and taught me kind of how to go about my business. So I really appreciate what they did for me.
3: And I know that you had a positive influence. In fact, Evan was among several members of this year's team who wanted you back. What did it mean to come back and how nice was it to hear that guys also within that clubhouse wanted you back here because of not
5: only what you can provide on the field, but off the field too. Yeah. I mean, that's the greatest compliment um, that anybody can hear. I don't care about what fans or media have to say about me um it's just it's all about what's in the locker room and um to be on a team and um have the players you know want me back is awesome um you know they're great people but i'm glad that they not only realize um what i can do on the field but you know what i can do off and um you know i I don't know i just yeah they're great people and i'm glad i'm back here
3: what is a good clubhouse guy to you what makes a good clubhouse guy
5: well, I mean, there's so many different things that you can do. You, it, it doesn't have to be a person that um, is constantly harping on people to do the right thing or whatever. You could just lead by example. Um, you know. But I do think that you need some guys that are vocal in there that give a guy a kick in the butt every once in a while when they're not doing something the way they should be doing um, because people are different. People need a pat on the butt. Some people need a kick in the butt. Some people need a pat on the shoulder um, just to keep them going, get them going. Or, um, you know, some people need to be yelled at to get them going. It's it's all different strokes for different folks. So um, I think the more, I guess, diversity you can have as far as that goes in the locker room, the better. This second year for you, obviously you're playing incredibly well out of
3: the gate. Do you feel that much more comfortable, and how much do you think comfort has to do with it?
5: Yeah, for sure. I think that's the, one of the biggest reasons why is that uh, you know I'm not trying to do too much, and I'm comfortable with not only my surroundings, the guys on the team, not trying to prove anything to anyone, just going out there and trying to have quality at bat every time up and uh, getting a good pitch to hit. Uh, you know, it's a continual process. You know, I feel like the last couple of games I've been trying to do too much, so trying to rein that back in and. Really honing on the strike zone, and you know, once I do that, I have a way better chance of being successful in baseball. You can't swing at balls consistently and, and have um, consistent results. So I think, you know, so getting something over the middle of the plate, it might take till you get two strikes or whatever it may be, and he might take two or three at bats, but continually getting a good pitch to hit and letting balls go is uh, is a big key for me.
3: Logan Morrison with us on this week in race baseball you know last week we had Tommy Hunter on the show who would be louder in the clubhouse you or him is it
5: close yeah uh you know uh, well it's probably equal Tommy likes it when I yell he likes it when, or I like it when he yells so um it, he's uh him being on the DL right now I would say I'm louder but when he comes off he gets pretty rowdy sometimes it's a uh, it's it's fun and certainly provides that mix. What do you think of the mix of the group of guys? Because it, it seems
3: like a, a pretty strong chemistry you guys have inside there right now.
5: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, it's not going to be a, a lack of chemistry or a lack of talent for the reasons, you know, we do or don't succeed. Um, it's going to be because, you know, fundamentally are we where we need to be or we making the plays we need to make. You know, our pitch, starting pitching is going to be great. Um, we have to help them out by um, making the plays we need to make, button go deeper into games, and then that'll help our bullpen out. Keep those guys fresher. The less, the less times that hitters see our bullpen, the better, because uh, you know that's basically. As a hitter, you want to see pitchers over and over again. That way you can get a feel for what they want to do to you and things like that. And the more familiar you become with them, the better chance you have at succeeding. And, you know, the more we can protect those guys, the better.
3: You know, you talk about success on and off the field. I'm kind of curious because this week with the Rays playing the Marlins, you get to have the, the Rays' wives against the Marlins' wives in that softball game. Did you uh, Did you mention to Chris to your wife your, your thoughts on her softball play afterwards? and, and uh, Or did you stay away from that?
5: Uh, I told her a good job and was, uh, was supportive of her because there's been a lot of times where I've gone on for four and she's been supporting me, but uh, she needs to work on her mental game. She didn't run with two outs when she was on first base, almost got thrown out there and ended the game, but we got lucky, and um, she did get a couple hits, so that was good, but we got to work on the fundamentals with her. All right, what does she have over you that, that she would get on you about? Oh... Uh, um, as far as how I play the game, I'd probably say that she needs that, that she would tell me that I need to smile more. How about off the field? Huh. <laughs> uh, there's so many things. I don't think we have enough time for, for it in this interview. But uh, <sighs> off the field, I would say that I need to communicate better would be her number one thing. Or listen better. <laughs> Same thing, I guess
3: yep i've heard that a few times too uh you get you had your your beautiful daughter out here which stands for i love you which is a a wonderful way to name a, a unique name for a child how is she like you so far and she's what a little under two
5: yeah she's 18 months um she's really loud so that's she's got that going uh she eats everything so that's um partly me too um I mean, she's just, I, mean, I don't have any complaints about her. She's awesome, although I'm not always there all the time, so I don't get to see her, you know, more moody points. But uh, my my wife does a great job of, you know, holding it down. Um, and, you know, I know it's a lot of pressure and work for her, but, um, you know, she's she's got her job to do and I got mine to do, I guess.
3: Does that consume, I mean, being at home when you're not? at the field and you're not on the road and if not what do you like to do to kind of relax and unwind because you don't want this
5: game to consume you 24 7 sure i mean hanging out with her kind of keeps your mind off it um you know but a lot of times when we have a night game i see her a little bit in the afternoon and then um she might be up when i get back but probably not so you know if she's not up i might you know watch some netflix something like that some comedy specials uh dave chappelle's some amy schumer stuff uh Joe Coy, I don't know. I just like laughing and kind of keep my mind off it that way. So on that end, what would be your favorite baseball movie? Oh, I mean, there's so many different types of baseball movies, but I really liked uh, The the Natural was a good one. Um, Field of Dreams is probably my favorite. Uh, But if we're going, like, comical um funny it's definitely rookie of the year over major league yeah i I like rookie of the year better um i mean obviously it's not realistic but um neither is major league right no (laughs) none of them are um for you you know you have obviously a funny
3: side a loud side but i think a serious side too um you know you lost your dad to cancer when you were with the marlins and I know you've raised a quarter of a million dollars to, to, to help fight the disease. How important is it for you to do that going forward on and off
5: the field? Yeah, I mean, very important. Um, try to get something going here last year. Um, me hitting 70 in April probably didn't help that. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, having experienced it firsthand, um, you know my father was the strongest person I ever met and I always thought he's too mean to die when he got diagnosed is like you know he was crying and stuff and, and I was just like dude like like literally in my head I was like you're my dad you're the strongest person I know and you're way too mean to die so like you'll be fine and it wasn't until like two days before he actually passed I was like wow you know this is actually a real thing so um, seeing him deteriorate the way he did um you know, having to change his underwear, things like that is, is nothing that I I think anybody should have to experience. Um, it's just a terrible disease. And he was a huge man. He was six, four, you know, two sixty, and could kick my butt till the day he died. So, um, it can happen to anyone. Um, he was a non-smoker and he died of lung cancer and, you know, it's, 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 it's crazy. And just to like, raise awareness not only you know raise money but raise awareness you know this could happen to anybody and it it's really hard to detect lung cancer is but um you know they're coming up with new ways um and new things and and you know research and and money is the way to way to get newer stuff and better better ways of prevention well i hope folks
3: in the tampa bay area are going to take advantage of you know your ability to tell that story and to be able to relate and and hopefully use that as a platform going forward wish you continued success on the field And uh, thanks for joining us on This Week in Race Baseball. Yeah, thank you very much. That's Logan Morrison joining us. We will continue right after this. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Race Baseball. Time now to take a look at the week on by. And this week, our monthly panel with Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun, as well as Dave and Andy. Morning, guys. Thanks for joining us. Hello
6: there. Hello,
2: Andy. (laughs) Andy, you're here. No, you're here to my right. Hello, Hello Neil. Hello again, everybody.
4: (laughs)
3: I'm a distance away, but we're, we're, we're in close touch today. 16-16 and 16 for the Rays to date. Give me, each of you, your take on the season to this point.
7: Well, I'll tell you, I think of two different phrases, really. Um, a resilient team, the way that they've shown the ability to come back and, and win games where they were behind, at the same time can't finish. Yeah, how many blown leads. I mean, you look over the last 20, 21 games and, and how many leads they've had and blown, and yet how many times they've come back. It's been a strange beginning to the season, and I think if they could somehow find a way uh, to lock down those leads, you've got a chance to have a special summer, but you cannot keep leaking Leads, especially late, you know, l- late uh, giveaways they really demoralize a team. And if they can find a way to uh, to, to clean that up, uh, they've got a chance to, to be in the thick of things and, and really have a chance to have a special summer.
2: I agree. I mean, I, I think that we've all been walking around since March uh, saying that, you know, if this team can kind of hold it together and play about 500 baseball, Till mid to late May, then maybe they are going to get on some kind of a run. But I think I go back to our old manager Joe Madden. One of the uh, the pitfalls of setting the bar so low is that you might reach it. And I think here we are. We're at 500, and I think. With everything that's gone wrong, one part of me says, hey, that's a nice job, but another part of me says, the same thing that B.A. just said, I look at the last 20 games, we had lead as leads in 18 of them, and we're 10-10. I mean, that that's just, that's not good enough. We had a chance to bank some wins here over the first six weeks of the season, and we did not get
4: the job. done. I will say this, though, there is more fight to this team than I think we've seen the last two years. Uh, when this team is down, maybe this is just me playing eternal optimist, but this team has been able to come back, and... You know, you look at the the difference a year makes for Logan Morrison, and I know Neil was just talking to him here on the show, but, I mean, the guy had zero runs batted in a year ago uh, today. Now he is second in the American League of first basemen with home runs and right up there in runs batted in. I think this team is still looking for who can bat behind Evan Longoria in the lineup, and I don't think Brad Miller's the answer. I mean, I know he goes up to number two today and Kiermaier's out, so they're kind of jerry-rigging that lineup a little bit, and Beckham's out today too, but somebody needs to protect Evan in the lineup. Evan's bat is finally starting to go. You need someone that's... Strikes a little fear in the other pitcher that when that pitcher makes a mistake, that guy may be circling the bases and may be giving you instant offense. Maybe Morrison's the guy because right now he's—I mean—he's the biggest threat I think behind Evan, and that's why Kevin puts him in there. And it,
7: and it is important; it's yeah. so important because when you see Evan Longoria, you know, go into his little slides every now and then. And by the way, every hitter in the game goes through that. But when he does that, he's not getting a whole lot of help behind him, and then all of a sudden his strike zone—strike zone discipline starts to go south, and zone zone expands he starts to reach and chase and that's when he gets into trouble in the last couple of games here he's gotten himself disciplined swinging at pitches back out over the plate and he's driving the ball and certainly a guy behind him uh, that's a, that is a threat that is a legitimate threat is going to help that immensely
3: to the group of you then since andy mentioned lomo is he the most pleasant surprise at least among the position players to this point in the year
7: I think probably
4: compared to what he did a year ago. I mean, there weren't parades being thrown the fact that the Rays re-signed him. I mean, I heard a lot of sighs around this area saying we're getting him back. I mean, it wasn't a great year. But it's easy to forget he actually was very good down the stretch last year until the wrist injury popped up. Uh, But the fact that he's hit very well, I mean, has come back to earth a little bit. You wonder, is that because of the getting hit on the hand in Toronto? If you can notice the, the line when it, it, his little slump started here, it's pretty much after the hand uh, got hit. But, I mean, he was my biggest surprise in April, but Morrison is probably the more steady player right now throughout the first six weeks or close to six weeks.
2: Yeah, I think we're starting to see the real Corey Dickerson, though, too. I think uh, Corey is a guy that came in last year with a lot of high expectations, and I think we looked at his numbers from Colorado and we thought, all right, well, you know what, maybe he's not going to hit as many home runs, but he should still be a 300 hitter. And so I think we're seeing a, a much more uh, at ease Corey Dickerson than we did a year ago who tried to maybe come out here and prove everybody why they traded for him and show why they traded for him and got off to a little bit of a rough start. So I, I look at Corey, I look at Souza. I also, you know what, I mean, Tim Beckham I think has done some things that – Quite honestly, I didn't think we'd see this year because I didn't think we'd see him. And I think Tim has uh, grown up a bit and done some nice things as well, both
4: offensively and defensively. But I I think the guy that I'm most impressed with right now is McCorey Dickerson. And B.A., let me ask you this as a pitcher. I mean, I think we're seeing a trend right now towards... Power hitters at the top of the lineup. You know, sometimes when a starting pitcher, that first couple pitches, he's trying to find what he's going. I like the fact that the Rays can put a guy at the top of the order, whether it be Beckham, whether it be Souza, whether it be Dickerson that can drive the ball out of the ballpark. From a pitching standpoint, does that make a difference?
7: Uh, You know, it does. Uh, Think about George Springer with with the Astros and all his home runs out of the leadoff spot. Uh, There's no doubt because you are... Tell me the next time you see a guy go out there, first pitch of a ball game, that's not a knuckleballer and doesn't throw a fastball. First pitch hook. Do you ever see that? No, you don't. You're out there trying to establish your fastball. That's why those last few pitches coming out of the bullpen are so important because you really want to lock it in so that when you go out there, it's not just to get me over fastball. You know, I didn't like doing that. And I was facing traditional leadoff hitters for the most part. Now you're you're facing guys where if you throw me a get-me-over strike-one fastball, you get a chance to be one to nothing in a hurry. And that seems to be the trend, just like the, the trend of, of guys trying to get the ball in the air. You know, you look yeah. at last year, Evan Longoria cut his ground ball rate by 10%. Gee, sets a career high in home runs with 36. I mean, that's the new thing. Get the ball airborne and get some guys that can do some damage up to the top of the lineup right away. Um... You know, it, it, it seems to be working for a lot of teams, and it's certainly something that, as a pitcher, you have to be aware of and understand. It's quality strikes right off the bat, or you could find yourself in trouble.
4: I find that trend very interesting. I mean, Dee Gordon now the the more of a slap hitter for the Marlins. That's more uh, you don't see that as much. You're seeing Pilar, a guy that can drive the ball out of the ballpark. The Yankees have power at the top of the order. I like the fact that the Rays have some pop at the top of the order now. No doubt. Let's go to the pitching side, Andy, since you brought that up. How important,
3: since we started with B.A. in the Leeds loss, was what Jake did yesterday? And how important is he to the rotation to see guys start to go seven innings, as they've now done twice in this latest group of, of five starts?
7: Well, you know, I think it's really important. First of all, you know, what Jake Odorizzi brings to this team, um, you know, he's very consistent. And I like to think, you know, I think Jake Odorizzi, I think, trustworthy. You know, probably the most trustworthy starter out there because he's a pitcher. You know, he pitches. He knows how to manipulate the strike zone, move the ball in and out, up and down in-game adjustments, and he gives you a lot to think about, because he's gonna you know, come at you with the fastball up, uh, the split change up below, all of a sudden as the game started to you know, move along yesterday, here comes the curveball for strike one, he just gives you a lot of different looks, he'll cut it, uh, the slider's a bigger pitch for him this year, uh, depending on the lineup that he's facing. Uh, so Jake I, has been very impressive, and getting length, a guy like Matt Andrees, getting seven innings in, um, it, you know, was a tremendous effort, and you take the pressure off of the bullpen and I think that in this game the way it's been managed the last few years you know five innings was it, it was okay mm-hmm. You know, it was okay. I mean, I I know that when I was starting, when if I went five innings, I was embarrassed. Just I, that's the word. I was flat out embarrassed because your own starters would be like, "Oh, you're a five and dive guy. You're not even a real man." I mean, that's how that's how you were treated. And so that's you. you there was that pressure to get into the seventh inning, get into the eighth inning. Uh, I know that a lot of guys. Is that why
2: you grew the beard? <laughs> no, I grow that
7: just to prove that I I can grow hair. I don't have any more, so I've got to I've got to grow it somewhere. But um, you know, to to get length like that, uh, it just takes the pressure off the bullpen, and if you're pitching that deep into the game, you're obviously pitching pretty well, and you've got a good chance to win.
4: But would Schilling and the big unit actually say that to you, or would they just give you a look,
7: and you felt
4: embarrassed about
7: the At that point in my career, I knew it. I didn't have to have anybody tell me. This was earlier in my career. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, you, if you were a, a guy that was out there, you know, going five innings, just think about it. Fifteen outs, you're leaving 12 to the bullpen. There's a whole lot that can happen there when you've got three or four different guys coming in. You're, you're hoping that all three or four guys are sharp. You know, that's not always going to be the case. One little hiccup, there goes the lead, there goes the game, and uh, it's just not ideal.
2: I thought, you know, one of my favorite lines you've taught, taught me here this last couple of months was what, Kurt Schilling used to say, is that he'd count down from 27. It wouldn't be, I'm trying to get to 5, I'm trying to get to 0. Yes. And I think that, when I look at what's going on with the Rays, if we can get down into single digits, then we have a better chance to win the game. If we're still trying
4: to get 11 or 12 outs from our bullpen, it seems like we're chasing those outs all night long. Well, how about the fact that this team is five hundred and it's still an unstructured bullpen? I still don't know who's going to get the ball to get it to Colomay. I mean, Whitley seems to be stepping forward. They wanted Farquhar to be that guy maybe for a little while. That didn't seem to work. You know, Tommy Hunter is injured. I just can't believe that they've been able to maintain this against basically pretty good lineups. I mean, I think the Marlins lineup is really good. And the Blue Jays lineup, even though it's 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 you know kind of two hands behind their back right now with Tulewitzki out and Donaldson out. But I can't believe that they've been able to do this so many times without getting it to Colomay. I mean, it, maybe that's well, we a sign ha- of things to come. We haven't been able to do it. That's part of the reason why we're 500 is yeah. that. We we have lost, but a this lot team of those could games. be five games under right now with this bullpen easily.
7: They, well, they could, they could. But you know what? When you get those dugout shots, if you could see all of the three ring binders, and that's what Jim Hickey is going through with Kevin Cash, trying to find the matchups, <laughs> yeah. and that's why you really can't put your finger, uh, you know, on. Okay, do we know? Who's gonna a seventh inning guy, an eighth inning guy to get it to Colma? You don't know. It's a matchup game, uh, but you're right about Chase Whitley. You know, you think about he was a guy coming out of spring training. Okay, he's gonna give you some length. You know, former starter, he can give you multiple innings, and that's what he did his first few outings. And then most recently, he's getting into higher leverage, coming in for a couple of outs, maybe one inning. You know, he's getting, he's earning the trust of his manager, and you can see him starting to develop into one of those guys that you know Kevin Cash will bring into a spot. Um, you you know, obviously it'll be matchup-based, but late in the game, he's not afraid to use him in that way, and so you know he, he's a guy to keep an eye on, and really everybody else because mm-hmm. it's all hands on deck. You just never know, like you said. Yeah,
3: he kind of reminds me stuff-wise of a Joel Peralta, not in terms of size, but the way he pitches. I mean, he's got to rely on fastball, changeup, curveball without overwhelming you.
4: Yeah, and, and then you look at what, what they were trying to do with with Diaz and Farquhar kind of piggybacking each other where you'd have Farquhar against a lefty and you'd have Jumbo against the righties. I mean, but you can't always structure the game that way. I mean, this has been the most uh, ad-libbed bullpen we've ever been around for a team that really could and should be a winning team right now. I'm just looking at this as... I can't believe that this team isn't under 500 now. With with the bullpens, the importance of bullpens these days. With no lefties for most of this month now, and yet they're still kind of in there. I don't know. It makes me feel optimistic that if they can ever get this thing together, maybe that's when you can go on a run. And, and that's
3: what I thought. With you know, we brought up the whole issue of length. I mean, yesterday not only did Jake give you seven innings, but seven innings where nobody got up during the seven innings. I mean, you guys mentioned Farquhar and Diaz. Danny's pitched in 16 out of 32 games. I think Diaz 15 out of 32. And they've gotten up a lot more times than that where they haven't gotten in. So to give them a day off yesterday is pretty important going into today.
4: I would think so. I mean, I, the, the, it, we, we talk so much about how bullpens, when guys come into games, but how about like what you're saying, Neil, when they're up and down three times before they come into a game too. I mean, Kevin took the blame the other day for getting Austin Pruitt up three times in Miami, not using him. But how can you blame the manager at this point for that? Because how do you know who to go to at this point in time? It's, it's three-ring binder binders serio- uh, seriously. I think good stuff.
3: And one other thing, Matt Andrees, seven innings back-to-back starts. B.A., give me your take on how he's grown so far on you.
7: Uh, One word, determined. You know, Matt Andrees was a guy last year that had a short lease. We don't want you to go third time through the lineup. Uh, Matt Andrees, to his credit, didn't like that. He doesn't like being a five-inning pitcher, and you've got to love that uh, in this day and age. Not at all um, okay with that. So you've got a determined pitcher who's like, you know, listen, I can go out there, I can find a way to get through a lineup three times, maybe even sometimes I've got to roll through a fourth time to get the job done. He's got enough pitches to do it, and he's got enough pitchability to do it, and that's what he's trying to show. He's a grinder. He's a battler. He's a determined guy. He's like, I've got a chip on my shoulder, and I want to show you that I can do this, and you've got to love guys like that.
2: He pitched with conviction a lot toward the beginning of last year, and then it kind of got away from him when he gets discombobulated with base runners. So hopefully he uh, can settle everything down because it's important for for this team to get on the run. I'm not saying that they're going to anywhere be like the 8 or 10 team that, uh, you know, we had five horses that we sent out there a lot of times, but you know, B.A., that you start to develop that uh, winning mentality when you think every single day you take the field that you're going to win, and it starts with the starting pitcher.
7: No question about it, and it becomes those guys pushing each other. You know, you do not want to be the weak link in the chain. And so... uh, a good outing a long outing now i've got a one-up that and it just keeps going every five days you get into a rhythm and all of a sudden you you take off and i'm going to tell you if you're able to do that a couple of times through it changes the mindset of your team i mean i can remember the the years of, of playing with arizona with 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 shilling and johnson you know when you walked into the the you know the clubhouse the vibe was you know randy johnson's pitching tonight we're going to win now whether you did or not But the vibe is there. The Already the belief that you're going to win the game before it's even played is huge. And if you can go through a couple of rotations where the guys are pushing each other and having consistent outings, you'll get that same vibe downstairs.
3: Guys, great stuff. Thanks again for joining us this morning.
7: Thank you. Anytime, Neil. All
3: right, let's pause right now for station identification. This is the Race Baseball Network. Thanks to Dave Andy and also Brian Anderson there of Fox Sports Sun. Coming up, we'll take a look at the Rays Minor League system. You're listening to This Week in Rays Baseball on the Rays Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. Neil Solon's with you. This week, the Rays called up a player directly from AA for the first time in more than a decade. So joining us now is the manager in AA Montgomery, Brady Williams. Brady, thanks very much for joining us.
6: Neil, good to be on. How are you?
3: good good now your club is kind of similar I would think to the way the race season has gone you're 14 and 14 like the the big league club you've had a lot of change some promotion and some injury too right
6: yeah a lot of movement this year which is uh which is rare but it's also a good thing which means uh you know guys are moving up uh helping our organization and and obviously with Alvarado years one of the big leagues it's, uh it was pretty special but uh you know a lot of movement we're still we're hanging in there and playing good baseball though
3: can you tell me what you saw in Jose Alvarado that makes him special enough to move from AA to the big leagues?
6: Well, obviously, the, you know, the stuff's really good. I mean, you know, he can throw 100 miles an hour. He's left-handed. He's a big guy. Uh, he's got a really good breaking ball. Uh, but the one thing that kind of stood out was the container. I uh, really haven't been around the kid uh, very much until this year. and He's a very quiet, uh, confident kid. Um, and he he, uh, he works hard and he attacked every day uh, like a big leaguer, and when the time came, they they uh, they made the phone call, and it wasn't like He was definitely ready for his opportunity. I'll say that. So it's awesome. And
3: he's not the only high-end bullpen arm you have. You have several others who are throwing 96 and up,
6: right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's a trend, but it's, it's, in the league in general, just a lot of lot of big teams this year. Um, you know, we have Gabo, who throws 98. Uh, Diego Castillo who throws 98. Had Alvarado throwing 100. Um, uh, even Winkler was here throwing 96. So we got like four or five guys throwing upwards of 95 to 98. So it's uh, it's pretty special.
3: And you just added a kid who got sent. I guess he started the year in High A. He went to Triple A. He came down to you, Yoel Espinal, who I heard great reports on in terms of what he was doing at the uh, at the Triple A level.
6: Yeah, yeah, we just got him. Uh, you know, Jared Sandberg uh, said. <laughs> Said you're gonna really like this kid. He's uh, got really good stuff. So I saw him pitch for the first time the other day, and he's another guy that throws 98 to 100 with really good slider. So um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of good arms coming. Uh, hopefully, they can stay uh, effective and keep getting better, so they can help our big league team out.
3: No doubt. And you've got some guys behind the plate too. Not only. Uh, that are receiving these hard-throwing arms that are doing really well. Give us a breakdown on Nick Schufo and then Justin O'Connor.
6: Yeah, Nick, uh, he's kind of turned the corner as far as his career. I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that I've heard about him. He's kind of matured a lot, um, offensively, defensively. Um, he's kind of, you know, you don't know when a, a guy's going to figure it out. It looks like he's kind of figuring it out right now. He takes um, – I don't want to say constructive criticism, but he takes what you tell him and he puts it to work and he uses it for his uh, his game. And uh, It's been fun to watch because he's already grown a little bit this year uh, in, in both offense and defensively. And then Justin O'Connor, who's coming back off injury and kind of slowly working him back in, uh, he's doing fine. He's having a solid season offensively. Uh, right now maybe not uh, swinging the bat like he was early on, but uh, he's still doing uh, his part behind the plate.
3: Is that the best throwing-catching tandem you've had, and that you've seen in the Southern League?
6: Uh, it's pretty good. Um, I don't know if it's the best because had, we've had some pretty good ones. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if it's the skill set or the, the percentage of guys throwing out. But you know, our pitchers do a nice job of holding guys, or gives our catchers a chance. Uh, but both, both those guys are very good, and uh, it gives the manager a little bit of uh, a breather uh, when, when those guys are out there. because, you don't really think the guys are going to run a whole lot.
3: Again, we're talking with Brady Williams, manager for AA Montgomery in the race system. Braxton Lee is a kid who repeated. Last year, he struggled offensively, he's always been a great defender. This year, he's kind of broken out a little bit. What's the difference with him?
6: Yeah, I think it's just comfort level. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, being my fourth year here this, this year, I've kind of seen a trend a little bit with some guys, guys that skip levels or. Guys that aren't quite sure if they belong here, um, they're, they're not sure how how good they are, and they come here and struggle. And if they repeat um, that level, they come back with a little more confidence. I saw it with Joey Rickard, saw it with Richie Schaefer, uh, now I'm seeing it this year with Braxton Lee, to where they know they're good, they belong here, and uh, you're seeing their skill set kind of come to, come to fruition. Uh, we're just watching them play every day.
3: Speaking of belonging, Joe McCarthy is a guy who in his first full year last year went from low A to high A, and this year he's got like a 400 on-base percentage in double double-a What do you like about him?
6: Uh, his demeanor, I mean, you can tell he comes from uh, a good pedigree. He came from Virginia, went to the World Series, won the World Series. Uh, you can tell he's uh, quite confident, um, struggled early on, but there was no panic. There was no. There was never a time where you saw him... Um, Unsure of himself, didn't get mad when he got out, just kind of uh, kept working hard and he's kind of figured some things out. And over the course of the last three weeks, he's been on fire. Uh, he's given really good at taking his walks, driving the ball. So um, it's been fun to watch him even early on for a month.
3: And Riley Unroe is a guy who, you know, you talk about Nick Schufo maybe coming to his own. Is Riley Unroe taking a step forward with his game on the infield and at the plate?
6: Yeah, for sure. Um, he's another kid. I think he's one of those guys where. He's always one, he finally got to where he thinks he should be. I got I got to double-A. I want to play. I want to get to. I'm close to the big leagues, and he's playing with a lot of urgency. Um, you know, we miss him right now. He's, he's, uh, he's been out with, with a sprained ankle, but he's getting close to coming back. Um, but you can tell that he, he believes in his, his uh, ability. He's played an unreal second base. He's a very, very good second baseman, um, and the bat's going to come.
3: Brady, great stuff. Appreciate you joining me, and thanks especially on a game day. Good luck this afternoon.
6: All right, Neil. Appreciate it. Good talking with you.
3: You got it. That is Brady Williams, again, manager for the AA Montgomery Biscuits, who start today at 14-14 and 14 in the Southern League. Now, in AAA Durham, Patrick Leonard this week was named Internationally Player of the Month. He hit better than 400 in the month of April, and Patrick Leonard now joins us. Congrats on the latest honor.
8: Thank you, Neil. I appreciate you having me on what
3: did the honor mean to you and and what made this month so special to you is this the best month you've had since joining the race system
8: uh, yeah, yes I can definitely I definitely think that this has been my best uh, month professionally and you know it's it's uh, like I've, I've uh, people have asked you know what have, what I've been doing this month that was different than you know last year when I was here and I just think that you know being in Durham last year I kind of got a sense of comfortability now being back here, and I was able to go out and just, you know, try to be the best uh, me that I could be out there, and uh, you know, I've been having fun, so that's been helping too. For
3: people who don't know the story, again, last year, you started the year in Durham, you had a tough start, you went down to Montgomery, um, and Jared Sandberg was on our show last week and said the best thing was the way you handled yourself and how you used that. I mean, how did you use it mentally to help get you back to this point?
8: Uh, I think Last year when um, when I was sent down, I talked to Jared and then Ozzie Simmons, our hitting coach, and um, just saying that, you know, you, I can take this, as in being sent down last year, I can take that as a, you know, a demotion, which it is a demotion, and, you know, sulk and feel sorry for myself and, uh, you know, and then let the season get away from me. And, uh, you know, I went down to Montgomery last year and I did – I did well down there, and I wanted to get out of there. I wanted to be back there again this year. I wanted to be back up here, and, you know, I feel like I did that, and I came back up here confident and ready to go for the start of the season, so I think that helped a lot.
3: Was there anything, though, that you did differently, let's say physically, in the offseason, or anything you changed with your stance or anything of that nature? Or are you any different as a hitter <clears> or physically than you were a year ago?
8: In the off season, I I wouldn't say in the off season I kind of just did the same thing i've always done the offseason i hit a lot i've worked out a lot and but the I, in spring training i got and i worked with the uh, aussie and i worked with uh chad Titola and we were we kind of got a two strike approach to where whenever there's two strikes i will kind of spread my feet out a little bit and not have like a load with my legs i will just kind of load my hands and try to try to just put the ball in place I know that, or everyone knows that you can't get any hits if you're striking out, so Mm -hmm. I've been trying to put the ball in play so more positive things can happen. And I feel like that doing that has really been kind of the key to helping me be able to have such success this first month.
3: You're also playing the same spot, Um, and I think part of that is probably because of the way things are structured. I mean, you've played third, which is your normal spot, but you had played first. Casey Gillespie and Jake Bowers are there. Jake's also playing in the outfield, so you haven't done that as much. I mean, is it help playing the same spot every day? I know if you get to the big leagues, you're probably going to have to adjust to to moving around again.
8: Yeah, I think, I mean, like like you said, I don't think if I get called up, I'm going to be playing third every day because... (laughs) <laughs> Someone's over there already, but uh, you know it, it is nice. It is nice coming to the field knowing that, out like, if I'm knowing that I'm going to play and that I'm going to be playing third, and because um, I like third, I'm comfortable at third. But I'm also comfortable at first. I haven't played a lot of outfield, but I you know I feel comfortable out there. I did felt like I did pretty well out there last year when I played there, and you know I can play those positions, but. It is nice coming into the field knowing, hey, you're probably going to be a third. Like, I talked to Jared before the season started. He said, you're going to be you're going to be playing, playing a lot, and you're going to be playing third. So, like, it's not that I'm not going to play first or not going to play outfield, but, like, you know, if Casey needs a day off at first and Bowers is in the outfield, you know, I might play some first. Mm-hmm. Or if someone needs a day off in the outfield, I might play some outfield just to, you know, like show that I can – do that. So, but yeah, if I'm in the lineup, I'm happy. I,
3: I I think most guys are, you know, what's also impressive is the way you guys have played as a group and you're doing it with a lot of guys who've been called up to to Tampa Bay and and a lot of guys who've also been injured both in in Durham and in the big league. So, what's this group been like? Why has it been so successful as a team?
8: I I think we we're, uh, you know, we're having games where not everyone's hitting the ball or you know, we're not, you know, we're we're it's not like it's not like one guy is carrying the team, you know. If we're having a really, we're playing really well as a team. We're having really good, playing really good defense. Our pitching has been amazing.
3: Well, I'm glad that you're having fun. Uh, I'm glad the team's having fun and continued success. Very excited for you at the start you're off to.
8: Thank you. I
3: appreciate that. And that is Durham's Patrick Leonard, the International League Player of the Month. Leonard hitting just shy of 400, and Durham is and 27. Now back to the major league side. The race, of course, this week faced the Marlins, who are still certainly feeling the loss of Jose Fernandez, who played his high school ball here in Tampa Bay. And I asked Marlins broadcaster Glenn Geffner how they're coping.
1: You know, we get that question a lot, Neil, and I think the best thing I can say that people understand is it's like when you lose a family member, uh, a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister. It's not just an acquaintance. It's not somebody you knew who was a friend of a friend. This was somebody who was a family member of ours, of everybody's, of especially the people in that clubhouse, uh, and so you don't get over it, and you don't just move on, and the pain and the hurt is with you constantly. Uh, and things happen almost every single day that remind you of Jose on the field, off the field. So that memory is going to be there for a long time. And uh, while there seems to be some distance now between Jose's death in September and, and here we are in May, uh, it's still very much front and center for everybody in that clubhouse. Uh, each time we go to a city for the first time, the questions come up again. So, uh His impact is still being felt dramatically around this ball club with anybody who knew him. Uh, And even though it's been now, what, eight, nine months, I guess, Uh, the pain is still very fresh. And uh, it's just such a terrible tragedy that's going to take everybody a long time to get over, I think. For you personally, what sticks out? What, What do you
3: think of and what types of things bring him to mind most often?
1: Well, uh, on the field, you just think about the energy, the smile he had on his face constantly, the way he could just take over a baseball game. Uh, There aren't many in the game who, especially at such a young age, were able to do what Jose was able to do, the joy he brought that rubbed off on everybody, including the broadcasters. You had fun calling Jose starts. You never knew what you were going to see, but you knew it was going to be exciting. Uh, I think of him, though, really more off the field. I think of the fact this was a big kid, and he threw 98, 99 miles per hour, but he was a kid, and he liked to have fun. I always remember, and I actually tweeted a picture of this out The day he passed away, uh, he came back after Tommy John surgery in July of 2014. He won a game at home. He beat the Giants, hit a home run off Matt Kane that day. And then we had to fly out of town. I think we we're flying to New York after that game. And here comes Jose down the aisle on the plane. He's passing out the food to everybody. So instead of the flight attendant bringing me my dinner, here's Jose. And I said, I got to get a picture of this. And I snapped the picture of Jose passing the tray to me with his big, impish smile on his face. Uh, and that's one of the images I always have of him. Uh, anytime you think about him, you think of him smiling. You think about him laughing. Uh, and again, it's just so tragic to see it end the way it did. Certainly, I, I think in the Tampa Bay area, people
3: remember him very fondly, as he's you know his high school career was here, and the fact that you know a, a is going to get drafted this year, likely in the first round, and it was his dad who, who coached Jose
1: in high school. There are so many Jose connections. It's such a short time he touched so many people in different places in different ways. Uh, and that's another example of how every now and then something's going to happen that might have nothing to do with the Marlins, might be off the field, but it's going to remind you of Jose Fernandez and uh, people he touched and the legacy that he left behind. I do think uh, you mentioned Fayedo. I know in the case of the guys in our clubhouse, uh, they have really taken the way Jose lived his life to heart. They've committed to having some fun, to smiling, to approaching the game differently. Uh, you know, that expression, live every day like it's your last. And that's really the way Jose lived his life and played the game. Uh, and I think that made an impact on guys in our clubhouse and maybe others in high school up here or wherever. Uh, and if that's his legacy, it's a heck of a legacy to have.
3: Indeed, and those are some poignant remarks from Marlins broadcaster Glenn Geffner. Now, this week, the Rays and Marlins' wives did some good during the Citrus series, renewing an annual softball game for charity. Now, the Rays won that game 13-12, but more important was what that event will do for others. And I spoke with the head of Rays' wives, Anna Boxberger, about that.
9: Um, You know, it's been quite a few years since we've gotten to to face um, a fellow organization's wives, and we've been rallying to get it back, and it took a lot of planning on the part of the Rays, so we're super thankful for that. And um, because we brought it back, we were able to support the awesome Florida Dream Center and bring awareness and, and some money their way, so the game had such a special meaning to us this year.
3: Let us let our fans know a little bit about the Florida Dream Center and who they help, and maybe how people can help if they're listening.
9: Well, the Florida Dream Center is right here locally. They support um, St. Petersburg and Tampa areas, and they're multifaceted. Um, they help the homeless find um, temporary housing. They help rescue and restore sex trafficking victims, and they also um, minister to prisoners who who are in jail um, in Hillsborough County. Um, and you can learn more about what they do at www.floridadreamcenter.org, um, and also check their website. We have a really exciting event coming up August 20th. It's called Rock the Trop, and um, we'll have more details about that on their website.
3: And I'm guessing that based on your knowledge, you've been involved the last obviously you're involved with race was but involved with this particular charity too to help out
9: i have been um i've just uh had the great privilege of working with their team at the florida dream center and seeing firsthand the work that they're doing um these guys are literally under the bridges in our cities um taking care of AIDS victims and homeless families and their boots on the ground and i just don't think there's another organization that truly is a part of this community the way they are
3: for this group the race wives. what does this event mean to just to be together and do things like this
9: well we like to think we have a really special group not only are we um you know uh, fellow fellow wives on a team but we're also really good friends um our group just has amazing chemistry and when we get together um we can make really amazing things happen so playing a game like this was something fun for us to kind of get away from the kids and and just let loose for a little bit
3: was it fun to play on the big field too
9: It was extremely fun, but extremely nerve-wracking. I don't know how these guys do it every night. I would be a nervous wreck every day.
3: And that is Anna Boxberger, again, of Rays' Wives, on the Rays' Marlins' Wives softball game held earlier this week, again, to raise money for the Florida Dream Center. Rays donated $5,000 to that cause. Now, this week also saw a reason for nerves with the beginning of a major league career. Jose Alvarado was the first Rays minor leaguer to bypass AAA since 2005, and... He's the first Venezuelan pitcher to come through the Rays Academy and come up with Tampa Bay. So I asked Senior Vice President Hyam Bloom about that.
10: This is, I think, not just a good day for Jose, not just a good day for our Major League Club, but really for our whole organization. This was really a total organizational effort uh, from a young kid that was signed by Ronnie Blanco and his scouting staff uh, and really so many different people who shepherded him through the lower levels and the minors and got him in position for us to be able to bring the major leagues.
3: Does it set an example for some of the
10: other kids, too, that that maybe are at lower levels now and say, hey, a guy has broken through? Yeah, I think it's really good, especially for those guys who come from faraway places, to be able to look at somebody that they know, someone that they'll see, someone that they will, you know, in future off-seasons, spring trainings, be able to spend some time with to say, hey, listen, I was where you were. I went through some of these difficulties that you might have gone through in the lower minors, which Jose did, and I came through it, and I got a chance to play in the big leagues. He came on a more accelerated track than most. It was the first pitcher since Scott Casimir to not pitch
3: in AAA to go to the big leagues for this organization. So why was he a good fit
10: in that regard? Well, I think with, uh, with where we were obviously looking for uh, left-handed options, uh, him having uh, put himself in position through uh, what he did in winter ball to uh, convince us to put him on the 40-man roster, to then seeing the poise that he showed in the WBC and in spring training with us and now earlier in the season with Montgomery, he has dominating stuff. And it's really a question of execution and, and repeating and, and just being able to put the ball in the strike zone consistently. And he's shown that in the early part of this year. And it gave us confidence to think that that could translate to the major league level.
3: That said, is this more isolated in terms of
10: moving a guy that quickly or might we see more of that? Well, we still believe generally in uh, you know a very uh, – uh, full and, and I guess you could say a deliberate development process. Uh, but that said, we take every case individually. And in this case, we just thought it was a good uh, marriage of our need at the major league level and this kid's ability and his presence and what we think he's going to bring to our club.
3: And that is Hyam Bloom on the hard throwing lefty, Jose Alvarado. And special thanks to Hyam and all of our guests on the show today. Rays first baseman Logan Morrison off to a terrific start. We certainly appreciate having Dave Wills and Andy Freed, our voices of the Rays on the radio, as well as Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun for our panel discussion. Also, special thanks to Brady Williams, the manager of the Montgomery Biscuits, Patrick Leonard, third baseman for the Durham Bulls, Miami Marlins broadcaster Glenn Geffner, and Anna Boxberger, head of the Rays Wives. Hey, for the sixth straight season Evan Longoria the Rays and various community partners each will donate one hundred dollars to Home Run Save Pets for every run or home run rather hit by Longoria during the season. For more information on how you can get involved, go to RaysBaseball.com slash community. Certainly, if you ever have something you'd like to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me. That's at Neil Solons. Next week, our program will include an interview with Corey Dickerson. It is our Mother's Day edition of the show. Stay tuned for that. Special thanks to our producer, Len Martez, for his work on the program today, as well as Cameron Billis on site.